0: Forging an ethical supply chain doesn't seem to be very high on the list of priorities for global companies today, despite the high price of failing to do so. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. In our last episode, we heard about some pretty low scores among apparel and footwear companies seeking to put a stop to labor abuses by their manufacturers. There's a similarly dismal report card on efforts to promote ethical supply chains. Bribery, fraud, conflicts of interest, money laundering, all carry heavy penalties from governments and regulators. Yet in a recent analysis by EcoVadis of more than 20,000 companies, the average business ethics score was just 42.2 out of 100, which means that most companies are taking a reactive and unstructured approach to fighting malfeasance, according to my guest today, Bettina Grobmeyer of EcoVadis. She'll delve into the highlights of the new report, discuss why so many companies are falling short in their efforts in this area, and tell us what they can do to correct this serious oversight. It's a crucial part of any effective risk management program, so here is my conversation with Bettina Grobmeyer. Tina Grobmeier, welcome to the show. Hello, Bob. Thanks for having me. So we have a new study from EcoVadis about corruption in supply chains as a critical issue. And it is an important issue to address, especially in light of the fact that you have revealed that the average business ethics score is 42.2 out of 100. First of all, how do you score business ethics?
1: Yes, well, maybe I can start by providing a little introduction on what we do here at EcoVadis. So... We're a collaborative platform that provides sustainability ratings and corruption is one of the issues that we cover in those ratings. So we decided after almost 10 years of existence that it would be interesting to look at this incredible pool of data that we're sitting on since we do about 20,000 assessments every year, looking at how companies manage those corruption risks. And to kind of analyze and benchmark the performance of the companies that we're assessing and to try to break it down by regions, but also by industries to identify what they're doing and where they're falling short. Here, the main finding is that there's still a lot to do. Most companies are doing things, but maybe they don't have a very formalized way of addressing corruption risk. So the global average that we found in that business ethics piece is 42.2 out of 100. What we look at when we assess the management system of companies is first policies, then actions, and finally results. And here, clearly, there's a lot to be done still. Often companies either start by implementing some policies, for instance, a code of conduct, but they then consider that they have addressed all their risks. Or they implement a few procedures here and there, but don't report on KPIs. And so, yeah, we found that there is no formalized, consistent way for companies to uh, adjust those risks.
0: Is the information that you gather for purposes of this report all self-reported? Is it based entirely on what the companies tell you that they're doing?
1: So, no. We use an assessment questionnaire. That's a tool that we use to collect supporting documentation. And that supporting documentation coming from the company itself... Is then the basis for the assessment. So everything that the company declares is then verified by our analyst team. And then this supporting documentation is completed or uh, complemented by what we call our 360 watch. And that's an internal database that we developed over the years, looking at 100,000 sources, leveraging artificial intelligence as well to collect external information. This means, on the one hand, looking at information coming from the company itself and then we're looking at stakeholder information so external information on the company that also gives us a good overview of how the company is operating and for a corruption for instance we're going to look at whether the company's been sanctioned on corruption cases has it been fined is it on the sanctions list etc cetera, etc etc cetera.
0: Now, the word corruption can be a very broad, in fact, even vague term. What do you mean by corruption?
1: Well, that's a good question. So we here, in our methodology, we do have a broad definition of corruption, so any kind of abuse of entrusted power. But more specifically, what we look at is bribery, conflict of interest, fraud, and money laundering.
0: That's a pretty broad universe of, of activities as well. Now, you say you break it down by regions and industries. Let's start with industries. Which industries did you find corruption to be most prevalent and which industries did you find were doing the best job in preventing it?
1: We did compare 12 major industries first of all the surprising findings were that some of the industries that are typically considered most at risk like for instance transport or construction are not being sanctioned as frequently as other industries like finance for instance that was a first finding also we saw that transport construction they are at the bottom of the rankings those are industries that have not formalized management systems or policies, actions, or reporting on results on corruption issues. So this is a concern because it shows that they are not addressing risk, although they are typically considered very risky industries. On the other side of the spectrum, we have the finance sector, which is performing quite well, which have companies in the finance sector usually have formalized management systems, But we also saw that those are companies that are quite frequently sanctioned on ethics issues compared to the other industries. So this can also explain probably why they have responded to that frequency of sanctions by addressing the risk and trying to implement internal controls and processes to prevent corruption
0: risk. So they have the best controls and the best guidelines, but they're also the biggest uh, violators at the same time. I'm not sure which of those you put before the other, but uh, it does seem to be a little bit ironic. But then again, that is the finance side where the money is, so I suppose it's no surprise that that would be where all the action is, right? Exactly. I am a little bit shocked when you talk about companies that you say they have not even formalized an approach. They have... Literally nothing in place to address the issue of corruption. Is that indeed the case? And what is the rationale, do you believe, for not having anything like that in place? Well,
1: yes, that's something that we were interested to discover as well, or at least to confirm with our data, is that when looking at some best practices that we identified, some which might seem key, were actually not that common. So risk assessments, for instance, which are the key fundamental action that is usually the base for any solid anti-corruption program, is actually a very rare practice, regardless of industry or regardless of the region. So this is concerning because we can ask ourselves if the companies are addressing all their risks, if they have identified them correctly, and also if they're allocating the resources
0: to the main risk areas. I have to say, you say that finance and insurance, with a score, I believe, of 49.9, leads in best practices adoption, power transmission and generation at 50.2, highest average industry score. 50.2 is not that great out of 100 either, so the best is barely over 50. That doesn't bode very well for the state of corruption prevention in global supply chains, does it?
1: That was one of the main findings of the study, really, is that there's still a lot to be done. There is still a lot of room for improvement. But this can also, I think, be explained by how the compliance sector has been working and organizing itself, which means that often compliance teams are working in silos, maybe not interacting that much with the CSR teams or the sustainability teams, which for us, are still the main contact point. So the CSR teams are usually the ones who are filling our questionnaires. And so here, I think this shows that from a management perspective, departments uh, often operate in silos. And we are trying to engage uh, compliance departments as well. Also, since compliance issues cover more and more of the traditional sustainability or CSR issues.
0: Do these companies all have, you say they have compliance departments, do they have a compliance officer, a chief compliance officer, who is this individual? To whom does he or she report? Where in the corporate organization or the corporate ladder is that person?
1: That's a very good question, especially since we at Ecovalis, we assess mostly SMEs. So 80% of the companies that we assess every year are SMEs, which of course don't have the same resources as large multinational and large corporations. So a lot of the companies that respond to our assessments don't necessarily have a structured way of addressing all these risks. This, of course, is not the case for large corporations, which will have very structured departments with more resources and usually compliance teams. This is still a new function, and so a lot of companies are still figuring it out, but usually they will report directly to the board.
0: Is it sometimes the case in small and medium-sized enterprises that you might have a procurement officer, or a supply chain officer, or a COO, or someone doing double duty as a compliance officer? You don't even have a particular person tasked with that role.
1: Absolutely. This is very often the case. Of course, then it's really challenging for uh, that person to have a good overview of the risks, and which is why we really encourage those companies to use resources that are already available on the market and don't start from the beginning again, but leverage all the tools and the resources that are made available by specialized NGOs like Transparency International, for instance, or uh, also use the sector initiatives that some industries have. So really leverage everything that already exists starting from the beginning.
0: Now, breaking it down by regions, where in the world is the issue of corruption most problematic right now?
1: If we look at it the other way, where is it not? Corruption is still a very universal issue. And if we look at the Corruption Perception Index, for instance, that Transparency International publishes every year, and that is still very much the reference, it's quite worrying. Some countries are typically labeled as very high risk, like China, for instance, but actually Mexico or Russia are countries that are even below China in terms of ranking.
0: Are there not places in the world where it just is a fact of life that participating in some aspect of corruption, especially bribes, is just the cost of doing business? And that if companies want to be in those markets, they have to do that? Or is that just a dodge? (laughs) Is that not an attitude that should be taken?
1: Well, I do believe that is very much an excuse that is being used by a lot of businesses to uh engage in that type of practices. Um, it's true that in some parts of the world it's a practice that is more common than in other parts of the world and here Today, the most efficient way to change mindsets and uh, practices is still regulation. And things have been moving on that front, even in countries that are considered maybe less risky, like France. Two years ago, with the new anti-corruption regulation, things have been moving very fast. And we can see a real difference also when we assess French companies on corruption issues. You can see that there is a real shift in the way that they're managing risks and that the whole program has become way more formalized.
0: Okay, so give us some practical steps that companies can take in order to improve their anti-corruption efforts, specifically in the area of key performance indicators or aspects of a program that would be more effective.
1: I would say that key performance indicators actually are one of the last steps to implement because that means that you're already measuring something that is in place. I would actually start by identifying and mapping the risk, and that means mapping all the operations of the business, all the day-to-day operations understanding where your risks are, and then building policies and procedures to address those risks. This is actually not the hardest part of implementing and rolling out a compliance program because identifying the risks, it's not that hard. What's hard is really making sure that all the employees are trained and actually implement the procedures that the compliance departments have drafted. And that's the real challenge. And then I would say a second thing that I already mentioned and that I think is key here is that you shouldn't start all over again. And you should use the resources that are available. And also to scale your due diligence, understanding of your risks, you can leverage technology. And using tools that precisely aggregate and consolidate all the different information on your business partners and companies that you're working with to really ensure that your business partners are also complying with your policies and that they are aligning with your values.
0: In a multi-tier supply chain, that can be difficult to do because sometimes your business partners are so distant from you, ultimately, that you don't even know what they're doing. But I guess you're you're asking for uh, an effort that's difficult to pull off, but I guess not impossible with the proper compliance operation, right? So, again, uh, the idea of having an individual overseeing the whole thing specifically, again, is very important, is it not?
1: Absolutely. I think here, governance is key, so with implementation and uh, really ensuring that what you implement is actually being used, that it's not just procedures in the drawer, and that's of course the challenge, scaling the program and making sure that it's uh, being implemented, especially for companies that have a decentralized organization, that have subsidiaries and business partners operating in risk countries, that's the main challenge.
0: I think one way to motivate companies to move ahead on this area is to find a way to quantify the cost to business of failing to do it. What is at stake? Have you seen figures that might help to kind of dramatize what it costs for a business when it is caught out in some of these actions and what it happens to its stock as a result?
1: I don't have exact figures in mind. I'm sure they're out there. But I think for the the company, what's really important is to determine their risk appetite and to really assess the situation and determine with all the data at hand if it's worth it, if it's worth the risk to engage in those risk areas and to perform those risky transactions.
0: Do you plan on doing another study going forward, and if so, when?
1: Yes, we plan on doing more of these studies. So this was the first one that we did, using 10 years of experience rating companies on corruption issues. We would like to do this on a more regular basis, because I think it's interesting to look at what companies are doing. So there are a lot of indexes out there and studies, but... Here, we have the chance to look at data from uh, over 20,000 companies, so that's significant, and that shows real trends, so that's really interesting.
0: When do you expect that you might revisit the topic?
1: We're thinking of doing this on an annual basis.
0: With the same sampling, going back to the same companies again each year?
1: Yes, that, of course, but we're also constantly increasing our database, so we might be looking at new data as well.
0: Well, it's interesting that this first study sets the benchmark for future studies and then something against which you could compare to understand whether we've seen improvements or or going backwards in the future. But in the meantime, uh, Bettina Grabmeier, I want to thank you so much for helping us get a first-ever picture of the prevalence of corruption in supply chains and what companies are or are not doing in order to prevent it. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: That was my conversation with Bettina Grobmeyer of EcoVadis, talking about efforts to battle corruption in global supply chains. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain